Good morning, Grace. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. While you're turning there, I just want to say thank you for your prayers. Uh, I was sick last week. Uh, Many of you that I ran into or maybe emailed and called and said you were praying for me. So thank you for that. Thank you for Pastor Greg filling in last minute. I realized Saturday afternoon that I was not going to be able to preach. And he said, I'll do it without even... Uh, blinking an eye, he just said, absolutely. So thank you for your prayers. Thank you to Greg. While you're turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're going to talk about something today about how the resurrection affects our, our lives as human beings and our bodies, specifically as it relates to our sexuality. So if you are not... Uh, Uh, signed up for our daily emails that go out called The Vine. Please take a yellow card and put your email address and just write The Vine on it because tomorrow's Vine, there's going to be a little uh, extension of the sermon of how we fight sin. So if you're interested in that, take one of the yellow communication cards, write your email address legibly, and then just write The Vine on it and we will sign you up for that. Let's pray one more time before we begin. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you, as we were just singing, that we are one with your son. We are in union with him. All of the benefits that he secured for us in our redemption are ours. We have been made alive, regenerated. We have been justified, declared righteous in your eyes. We wear the robe of righteousness of your son, Jesus. We've been adopted into your family. All of the many benefits of being in union with your son. And as we look at what it means to be in union with his resurrection, God, would you illumine our minds by the power of the Spirit to understand it even more deeply today. For your glory and for our good, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, how does Jesus' resurrection help you fight lust? How does the fact that Jesus came back from the dead help you fight sin and temptation? How does the fact that you will be resurrected one day, how does that truth help you fight sexual temptation. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jesus came back from the dead, and that should change what we do in our beds. So turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're taking a short break from our series in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in order to focus on the bodily resurrection of Jesus and some of the many implications that his resurrection has for our bodies today. I've titled this sermon, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, because I think it is precisely what is happening in our world and in our culture today. We are being bombarded with messages through friends and family and co-workers and newspaper and television and social media. We're being bombarded with messages that tell us that what we do with our bodies does not matter. We're being told that there are no limits to what we can do with our bodies, how we enjoy our bodies, and with whom we enjoy our bodies. There are body snatchers out there, and they want to snatch your body from God's design for your body. And that's why we're doing this new mini-series 
But the forces pulling on us to misuse our bodies are not just out there. We just can't blame the world. We just can't blame Carl's Jr. for our problem with lust. We just can't blame the Victoria's Secret commercial for our problem. The problem is not just out there. The problem is in here. The problem is in here, in our own hearts. The fact of the matter is that we want bad things. We want to do bad things with our bodies. And the reason we want to do bad things with our bodies is because of indwelling sin. The book of James reminds us of this in James 1.14. Even though we may be tempted to say, la, 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 not listening, that can't be true. It's the world, it's the commercials, it's the internet. We may be tempted to say that, but we must listen to James. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. We sin because we want to sin. We just can't blame the world or the internet, or TV, or advertisements. We sin because we want to sin. We're also doing this short series, specifically today's sermon, because I've heard of several pastors over the last few months, and even the last few weeks, who had to leave the ministry due to sexual immorality, due to adultery and multiple affairs. So I need a good reminder And I'm going to assume that you need a good reminder too. Because we all have bodies, we all have indwelling sin, and we all want to sin. I think we need another reminder this week to live and walk in holiness and purity. Now God's word gives us the parameters of purity and holiness. God gives us, his word gives us the parameters within which we must use our bodies. And I think this will be very beneficial to us because first, you have a body. Pinch yourself. Because we all have a body, I figure that's common ground enough for us to talk about how the cross and resurrection of Jesus relate to our bodies. I'm going to assume that you use your body every day, so this sermon might help you. Secondly, you live in a culture that tells you every day what to do with your body. And oftentimes we listen to the world and what it says about our bodies and we don't listen to the living God who came up with our bodies. He's the one who came up with human beings. I mean, isn't it crazy that we want to do things with our bodies that go against the God who actually created our bodies? Look, I created you. I know how you're supposed to function, how you're supposed to work. Isn't it crazy that we say, no thanks, I want to do what I want to do. Well, we haven't been going through the book of 1 Corinthians, so let me give you a brief idea behind this book and what the times were like back then. What was the city of Corinth like? What was the culture that the Corinthian church was surrounded by? What was it like? Well, Corinth was a a port city, so that it meant that people from all over the world would pull pull up their ships, ride in their ships, and head straight into Corinth for Taco Bell, Starbucks, In-N-Out, the markets, the malls, 7-Eleven, you name it. Anything you needed, you could find in Corinth, even someone to sleep with. In fact, Corinth was a very religious city because they integrated their beliefs in all kinds of gods. They integrated that right into the fabric of their society. And one way that you could worship any god that you wanted to worship was by going to the many temples that were located throughout Corinth and you could engage in sexual activity with a prostitute and they called that worship. 
It is estimated that there were some 1,000 prostitutes available in the temples in Corinth. Corinth was like Mardi Gras on steroids. So Corinth was this culture steeped in worldly values, much like our own. And the culture of Corinth, much like ours, was trying to snatch away the bodies of the Corinthians. It was an invasion of the body snatchers. And Paul's exhortation to the Corinthian church and to us is this. Walk in holiness. Walk in purity. Because your body is a temple of the living God. Walk in purity and in holiness. Because God dwells inside of you. I think it's a topic we need to hear today. I'm going to do things a little different today. I'm going to point out the two imperatives or the two commandments of this passage, and then we're going to walk through and see how these two imperatives, how Paul explains why we should obey them. We're going to, we're going to look at the imperatives at the beginning, and then we'll talk about some of the indicatives, the reasons why we should obey these commandments. So the two commands, which are our big idea today, are simply this, flee and glorify. Flee and glorify. The only two commandments in this section. Flee and glorify. Look at verse 18 and then verse 20. Verse 18, Paul says, flee sexual immorality. And then in verse 20, the second commandment, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Those are the two commands in this passage. Flee and glorify. The life of a disciple of Jesus Christ should be characterized by these two terms. That we flee and we glorify. And that's what it means to walk in purity. That's what it means to walk in holiness. Sanctification is all about remembering that we were bought with a price. That Jesus lived the life we could never live and that he died the death that we all deserve. Now, we'll discuss verses 18 and 20 more as we move through the text. We'll see more clearly why a Christian should flee sexual immorality and glorify God with their body. So look at verses 12 through 13a with me. Hear the word of the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Those phrases you see in in quotation marks there were likely expressions that the Corinthian church was hearing from their culture and that they were listening to. These, These were common phrases that you would hear in Corinth. All things are lawful for me, man, when I'm in Corinth. What happens in Corinth stays in Corinth because all things are lawful. Food is meant for the body, stomach for the food. So if I'm gonna go to a temple and be with the prostitute, hey, All things are lawful. So the Corinthians were hearing these phrases in their city because Corinth was this sexually charged city. And it is likely that as believers went out into the city to work and they went to the market and the grocery store, they would hear these phrases and they would be questioned, why don't you do these things anymore? And once they gave their defense, I'm sure the world began to scratch their head and say, why? Why don't you do this anymore? And in fact, I think some of the Christians in Corinth were starting to buy into this and say, yeah, we're not under the law anymore. We can live any way we want to. Now let's look at each of these, the quotes. All things are lawful for me, 
But not all things are helpful. The Corinthians were saying that they were free to do anything. We're not under the Mosaic law anymore. We can live any way we want to. Paul said we're free. We're free. We can live any way we want to. But Paul counters that by saying that even if you're free to do something, it may not be helpful. Even if you have the freedom to do something, it may not be beneficial. I learned this the hard way one day. Sometimes in my days as a barista at Starbucks, people would bring us free food. And sometimes customers would bring in like dozens of Krispy Kreme donuts for us. Have you ever eaten a Krispy Kreme donut? It's like heaven in your mouth. Comedian Tim Hawkins said that eating a Krispy Kreme donut is like eating a baby angel. And if you've ever eaten a Krispy Kreme donut fresh off the glazing conveyor belt, nice and warm and hot, then you would agree. They're awesome. So one day, somebody brought in several dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. I didn't bring a lunch that day. So every once in a while, I'd run to the back, you know, get more milk to bring out to the front to steam milk, and and I'd eat a donut really fast. Well, as the day progressed, I realized I'd eaten nine donuts. Now, if you know Krispy Kreme donuts, these are not tiny donuts. They're glazed donuts cooked in grease and covered with sugar. Nine donuts equals 1,800 calories. 900 carbs, 850 milligrams of sodium, 90 grams of sugar, and 108 grams of fat. Now, those statistics are from the new healthier non-trans fat nutrition chart. I couldn't find the old version. You know, they tried to make them healthier, so inflate those numbers even more. Because I ate the old version of Krispy Kreme donuts before they tried to start making them healthy. Well, guess what? I am free to eat as many Krispy Kreme donuts as I want. But as Paul points out, not all things are helpful. So guess how I felt later that day? Terrible. Not all things are helpful to the disciple of Jesus Christ, even if we're free to do them. So Paul says it again. All things are lawful for me. But then he says, but I will not be enslaved by anything. The Corinthians were trying to say, even though we have this freedom, they're trying to say, we got this freedom, but Paul's saying, you better be careful because even though you have that freedom, you might actually be enslaved to something. The Corinthians are saying, we can quit anytime we want. Have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried to fast? Have you ever tried to cut out something or give something up? I tried cutting out sugar for the first few weeks at the beginning of this year. Have you ever tried that? It's like giving up breathing. It's like saying, I'm going to give up breathing for a while. I didn't realize how much I loved sugar. Now, there's nothing wrong with sugar. But when I tried to stop, I realized that I might be enslaved to this. Paul is countering the Corinthians and saying that you may be free to do something, but has it made you its slave? Then he quotes these slogans that were popular in Corinth again. He says, food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. Get the logic of the statement here. The Corinthians were saying that food was designed for the stomach and the stomach was designed to receive food. So when your stomach tells you you're hungry, what do you do? You eat. And some of us are living proof of that. But get the gist here. They were saying that just as you had a need to eat and you should fulfill that need of eating, 
So too, they were saying, you have needs sexually. Just, just as you had the right to fill an empty stomach by going to in and out so too you had the right, the Corinthians in the city of Corinth would say, you had the right to go to a temple shrine and engage in immorality with a prostitute. Fornication was just as natural as eating food in the minds and in the culture of those people in Corinth. And what does Paul say to their saying? He says, you guess what? God will destroy them both. Paul is saying to the Corinthian church, God will destroy this world one day, so don't be shaped by this world. Don't be shaped and molded by this world and its ways. Instead, run, flee, run from the destructive nature of sin and seek to glorify and enjoy Jesus with your bodies because your bodies matter. There were two simple words, two simple commands that the Corinthians needed to hear, and I think we need to hear those words too this morning. Flee and glorify. Flee from sin, sexual sin, any kind of sin that you can think of. Flee, run from it, and glorify Jesus. Flee and glorify. And the way that you glorify Jesus is by running from that sin and saying, Jesus, I'm running to you because you're better. That thing promises me empty things. You promise me life. So I'm gonna run from that and run to you, Jesus, and that glorifies you, Jesus. Flee and glorify, flee and glorify. If you get nothing else from this sermon, I hope this week as you are tempted to sin in some way that you say to yourself, flee and glorify, flee and glorify, flee and glorify. Flee sin, run from it and seek to glorify Jesus. That's what we're called to do as disciples in this world. This world will try to shape you and mold you into what it feels is right and this world is going to be destroyed, and God is the one who will destroy it. And when it comes to our bodies, what we eat, what we watch, what we listen to, what we do sexually, we need to be asking ourselves these questions. Does this, blank, whatever it is, does this help me love God more? What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. These are questions we need to be asking ourselves, not to be asking other people. People have different freedoms, different struggles. We need to be asking ourselves these and not worrying about other people, but does this help me love God more? Does this have mastery over me? Am I enslaved to it? Can I quit? Can I walk away? Or am I just trying to justify something? Do we justify things because we have needs? What about in our marriages? Maybe one partner has checked out Do you do things? Do you look at things? Do you flirt or try and find fulfillment in other things and then justify yourself because your spouse is checked out? Flee and glorify. Flee and glorify. Flee and glorify. And another reason to flee and glorify God with our bodies is because our bodies were created for God. Our bodies were not primarily created for us or for others. Our bodies were created for God. Look at the middle of verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Leon Morris says, The body cannot be dismissed as unimportant. The body is for the Lord. It is the instrument wherein we serve God. It is the means whereby we glorify God. 
The Lord for the body shows that just as food is necessary if the stomach is to function, so the Lord is necessary if the body is to function. It is only as God enables us that we can live the kind of life for which we were meant. And if the body is the instrument wherein we serve God, then everything we do in the body should first be about glorifying God. Not not living for our own glory, our own pleasure, but for God. Now, we tend to think it's first about us, our bodies, our needs, our relationship with our spouse. But the passage today shows us that our bodies are first, primarily meant for the Lord. So therefore, even our intimate times with our spouse should first be about bringing God pleasure instead of bringing us or our spouse pleasure. Yes, God created us to enjoy our spouses intimately, but primarily it's a worship act, an act that brings pleasure to God, our creator. And in the next chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul will tell the married Corinthians that their bodies also belong to their spouses. Here he's saying your body belongs to the Lord. In the next chapter, he'll say your body belongs to your spouse. So that means that we need to meet each other's needs in our marriages, whatever those needs are at the time. So ladies, your body belongs to the Lord and your body belongs to your spouse. Ladies, your body belongs to Jesus and your body belongs to your husband. That means, ladies, you don't withhold intimate times from your husband. Now, I say this based on how it typically happens in marriage. But both spouses are forbidden in Scripture from depriving one another of intimacy in the marriage. Paul will talk about it in 1 Corinthians 7. You must keep the intimacy alive or Satan will come in to tempt. Without a doubt, if you take a break from times of intimacy... Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, one, you both agree to it. So if you both agree, say we're going to take a break from this, being intimate together, you both agree. He says you have a short season of prayer, and then he says you come back together intimately. It's the only time we should be withholding something from our spouse is if we both agree to it, and we both say we're going to, we, we, want, we want, to, want to get more of God. We're so hungry for him. We're going to take a break and seek him in this short season of prayer, and then we're going to come back together. Now, let's talk to the men. Men, your body belongs to the Lord, and your body belongs to your spouse. Your body belongs to Jesus, and your body belongs to your wife. So, brothers, that means you let your wife pluck your unibrow. Okay? Your body belongs to her, and you cuddle with her. Yes, you cuddle because your body belongs to Jesus and then your body belongs to your spouse. Married couples, here's your homework this week. This week read 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 and be aware that Satan wants nothing more than to destroy your marriage through neglect or through checking out or through being disconnected or through sexual immorality. So here's an easy way for you to pray for your spouse this week. Pray this week. Oh God, I pray that they would flee and glorify. I pray that they would flee and glorify. I pray that they would flee and glorify. Pray that the Holy Spirit will empower you and your spouse to flee sin and to glorify Jesus with your bodies. And now Paul will tell the Corinthians that the resurrection of Jesus 
should motivate us to flee and to glorify. You want to flee and glorify? You want a good reason to flee and glorify? It's because Jesus came back from the dead and because he's going to raise your body one day, Christian. Look at verse 14. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. What this verse is teaching us is that the future state of our bodies should affect and change the behavior of our bodies now. Because God will resurrect our bodies, we should seek to honor him with them now. But it will never affect our behavior now if we don't talk about the resurrection, if we don't think about the resurrection, if we don't meditate on the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead, therefore he will resurrect our bodies on that final day. If we never think about this, meditate on this, read up on this, then we'll never be motivated to flee and to glorify. Now our culture never thinks on eternity, does it? And sadly, many Christians never do either. Joel Stein, a columnist for the Los Angeles Times, said this, Heaven is totally overrated. It seems boring. Clouds, listening to people play the harp. It should be somewhere you can't wait to go, like a luxury hotel. Maybe blue skies and soft music were enough to keep people in line in the 17th century, but heaven has to step it up a bit. They're basically getting by because they only have to be better than hell. We don't think about eternity enough. Oh, we do in some ways. We think about reuniting with Aunt Myrtle, who's passed away, or a college friend who died, or a loved one. But that's not what heaven is primarily about. Heaven is primarily about spending eternity with Jesus, enjoying him, and doing it in a very real, physical, resurrected body. And because your body will be resurrected to eternal life or to eternal punishment in hell, then it should change the way you live now. Why? Because your body has value right now and forever. Your body has value right now and your body has value for eternity. Leon Moore says, the resurrection forbids us to take the body lightly. If it, the body, is to be raised, it must not be put in the category of things that will be destroyed. There is an exact correspondence Food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, and the end is destruction. The body is for the Lord and the Lord for the body, and resurrection is the destiny of both. Jesus died, and God raised him up from the dead, and we will die, and God will raise us up precisely because we are in union with Jesus. We were just singing about it. We are one with him. James just read the scripture, Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And when we think on that, that should change how we act here and now. Our union with Jesus in his resurrection should catapult us to walk in holiness and purity in the here and now. The fact that we have been united with Jesus Christ our union with Jesus in his resurrection should catapult us to walk in holiness and purity in the here and now. 
because we are one with him, because we have his righteousness, because we are clothed with his righteousness, because we are forgiven, because we are adopted into God's family. All of those wonderful truths of being united with Christ should motivate us to live for him in the here and now. We flee sin and temptation, and we glorify God in our bodies right now precisely because we are united to Christ's life, death, and resurrection. And then Paul speaks of that union in verses 15 through 17. So look at verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For, as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Here Paul is stressing that believers have been united to Christ. We are members of Christ. Therefore, why would a believer in Corinth unite himself with a temple prostitute? Or why would a believer engage in immorality, fornication, adultery, pornography? The word here for take Paul says, means take away. So we, when we engage in any form of immorality, the members of Christ are being taken away from their proper use, which is service to Christ. How are we using the members of our bodies, our eyes, ears, hands, reproductive organs? Romans 6, which is very close to this passage, Paul says this in Romans 6, 8. Now, if we have died with Christ, united with his death, we believe that we will also live with him. We'll be, we'll be resurrected with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Present your body, your eyes, your hands, your reproductive organs, everything about you, present it to God. Present, present, present. Romans 6, and then what does Paul say in Romans 12? In light of God's mercy, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to do what? To present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this what? World. But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Who are you presenting the members of your body to? Notice at the end of verse 15, Paul answers the question of whether a Christian should unite himself to another person in immorality. And he says, never. It's a strong negative commandment in the Greek. May genoita. Never. It's as if Paul is saying, no way. Forget about it. Don't even go there. No, no, no. Don't do it. Don't join yourself. Joined is literally to be glued. When you unite yourself with someone sexually, you get glued to them. It's the same word that Paul uses in verse 17 to speak of being joined or glued to the Lord. Who are you glued to? The Lord and your spouse? Within the confines of 
a covenant marriage, one man, one woman? That's marriage. Or are you glued to your boyfriend or your girlfriend outside the confines of God's design? Union with Christ, being united to him in his life, death, and resurrection should cause us to flee and glorify. Flee sin and glorify Jesus. Flee and glorify. And that's what Paul says in verse 18. Look at verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. There's the command again to flee. In fact, the Greek, it's a present tense imperative. We are to always be fleeing. We are to stay in a state of continual running from immoral acts and immoral thoughts. You want to know the will of God for your life? I don't know if you're supposed to take that job or go to that college, but I do know this. The will of God for you, Christian, every single day when you wake up is to continually be fleeing sexual immorality. To continually be fleeing sin. Now, I love this verse because I remember memorizing this verse as a newly married man. And it's easy to memorize in English. Flee from sexual immorality. Just a few words. But I also memorized it in Greek as a newly married man. Frugate tain porneon. I thought, you know what? i got to memorize it in Greek too. Because I was working in Hollywood, in the film industry. I remember when I memorized this verse. I was sitting on the back lot of Universal Studios working on Richie Rich 2, Christmas Witch. None of you have ever seen that, I'm sure. But I'm sitting there on the back lot of Universal Studios, parked in the street in that area of town that, you know, where uh, it was where the first Twilight Zone was filmed. But it's also where the Back to the Future clock scene is. I was sitting right there memorizing this verse. that I need to know it in English and Greek if I'm going to fight sin working in the film industry. So I love, I have a special connection to this verse. I still need it today. Some 16, 17 years later, I still need it. And so do you. So flee sexual immorality. And it may look different for some of you. For some of you, it might be those awful romance novels that, that, that stir you up in ways. Run. Make it a habit to run. Run away like Joseph did. In Genesis 39, when Joseph was, being, was trying to run from the advances of Potiphar's wife, what does the text say four times? Yahweh was with Joseph. Four times the Lord was with Joseph. You'll never be able to fight sin without realizing the Lord is with you, that he is in you, which Paul will talk about in a moment. You have to stay glued to the Lord. But what does Paul mean when he says that sexual sin is a sin against the body? I think he means this. Sexual sin is a serious sin. It's not the most serious sin, but as it relates to the body, it is very unique because you're taking a member of the body of Christ and uniting it to someone else. It's unique because of its effects on your personal body and upon a church body. And it can be devastating. In fact, one of these men that I read about that has fallen into uh, an adulterous relationship for several years. The entire ministry is shut down now. Innocent families lost jobs because of one man's actions. So it affects the church body. The effects of sin are devastating. But Jesus' blood is enough to wash that man 
and forgive him and every other person that's ever been involved in this. Look at verses 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. For those who have turned from their sin and are trusting in Jesus, life, death, and resurrection, your bodies are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that awesome to think about? The God of the universe would dwell in us corporately, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, and then individually here in 1 Corinthians 6. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Now glorify God with your body. You are not your own. Think about that. Think about how politically incorrect Paul is. You are not your own. What do you mean I'm not my own, Paul? I am my own. But for the believer... And the unbeliever, because Jesus is Lord of all, you don't own you, he does. And then Paul gives the reason why. You were bought with a price, with the blood of Jesus. This is an allusion to the cross. Paul's just rehearsing the gospel with the Corinthian church here. He's not trying to guilt them to obedience. Please understand that. Never guilt someone to obedience. He's laying down another indicative. You were bought with a price. That's the truth. So now be motivated to obey the commands of flee and glorify. It's always grace that motivates us, not guilt, not shame. You were bought with a price. So glorify God. And then Paul reminds them that Jesus died to rescue us from the slavery of sin. He purchased his people. He bought us from the, the the idea here is from the, the slave market of sin. He redeemed us out of that slave market of sin. And he washes us with his blood. So if there's shame and guilt over your past today, because of some of your actions, maybe even this last week, if you're a Christian, you're forgiven. You're washed in the blood that bought you. We just sang it, let no one caught in sin remain. Let no one caught in sin remain inside the lie of inward shame. We fix our eyes upon the cross and run to him who showed great love and bled for us. You feel guilty, feel full of shame because of your actions in your past this week or five years ago, whatever. Flee to Jesus. Run to Jesus. You're forgiven. That's why Paul says in verse 20, so glorify because we were bought at the cross at that moment in history, in the past, in the past, but in the present, we must be glorifying. You could say it this way. You were bought once and for all back then at the cross, so glorify God. Do it quickly. Get going. Glorify God now. Flee and glorify. Flee and glorify. Flee and glorify. So we end with our two commands. Flee and glorify. Your homework this week is to do this with your body. Your homework this week is to be motivated by the resurrection of Jesus. Your homework this week is to flee and glorify. To flee the body snatchers of this world and to run to the body resurrector. And you get the power to do that from the Holy Spirit who lives in you. He gives you the power to flee and glorify as you constantly recall and as you constantly remember the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. You want to flee from sin? You look at Jesus. He's so much better. That's how you glorify him. Running from sin and running to him and saying, Jesus, you are the superior pleasure. May God help us this week to flee and to glorify. Let's pray.
Father, what a relevant passage for us in our culture. We are bombarded by messages without and by desires within. And when those two things collide, much destruction can take place. So we ask you by the power of the Spirit to turn our eyes to Jesus. To remember that he became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. God, may we remember that we were bought with the price and the price was the precious blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Nothing can wash away our sin. Nothing can wash away our shame. Nothing can wash away our guilt this morning but the blood of your son, Father. So may we stand if we say, God, forgive me. Then may we stand immediately and say, thank you, God, that you do. Thank you that you don't see me as dirty and filthy. God, you see me as clothed with the righteousness of your son. So may we quickly say, God, forgive us. And then may we stand and sing as the church triumphant because of what Jesus has done and not because of what we have done or not because of what we haven't done but only because of your son, only because of his blood. In Jesus' name, amen.